The Evolve with Pete Evans podcast is a conversation about my favorite ingredients for a healthy human experience. We take an informed look at topics that include nutritional and emotional well-being as well as expanded consciousness. I love exploring the topics that are not traditionally taught at school and take a deep dive into them with my special guests. I invite you to sit back and come along for the ride with an open mind and heart and please share with your family and friends as these podcasts may just be the seed from which many things will flourish from. Cheers. We've been using Waters Co. water filters for the last 10 years and I wholeheartedly trust my family's health with them. Waters Co., established 1977, have personal and domestic water filters, which turns your ordinary tap water into great tasting, alkaline, ionized mineral water, which removes up to 99.9% of fluoride, heavy metals, chemicals, and bacteria, so you can love your tap water again. The Bio 1000 is the latest edition of the BMP 1000 model and the culmination of over 40 years of experience and research into water filtration by some of the world's leading scientists. Waters Co. was first to market with natural gravity-fed systems, creating alkaline water way back in 1984, and have continued to lead the market in research and development, setting the benchmark for all other brands to follow. Please go to my webpage, PeteEvans.com, to learn more and to receive your special discount from my link on the products page. You're going to love it. Award-winning filmmaker Mickey Willis gained international recognition as an innovator of socially conscious media and technologies. In 2005, he launched Elevate Film Festival, a global competition that challenged filmmakers to focus on the good news and solutions of the world. The one-of-a-kind show earned the title of the world's largest single-screen film event. Preceding a three-year tour, the festival morphed into Elevate, a cause-driven film production company. Since then, Elevate has created hundreds of breakthrough productions, including television series, documentaries, feature films, and viral videos that have accumulated over 1 billion views. Mickey's passion to make tangible change led him into the wild world of US politics. In 2016, he travelled with the Bernie Sanders campaign, and in 2018, he documented Tulsi Gabbard's campaign. In 2020, Mickey created the Plandemic documentary series that is now the most censored and viewed documentary of all time. To find out more about Mickey, please visit Facebook Official Plandemic or Instagram Official Plandemic. That is O-F-F-I-C-I-A-L-P-L-A-N-D-E-M-I-C. Mickey, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. How are you, brother? Thank you, Pete. I'm very well. How about you? Mate, I'm fantastic. I'm sitting here with our little poodle on my lap and I've got a nice cup of tea here, my wife, maybe, and I've just finished one podcast with an amazing person that was on your, in your film, Plandemic, uh, Dr. Ben Tapper. So I'm raring to go, mate. I'm ready. Thank you so much for releasing that film, both of your films this year, to inspire and to create hope in what I would say is the most fascinating time in human history that I've been around for and no doubt you have as well. Indeed. Yeah. Thank you for your words. I would like to start off by the simple question of why you, why now? The real answer is, is that like so many people have experienced, I lost two family members due to Western medicine. 
And so I was in my early 20s, and I watched my brother die of bad AIDS treatment. And 23 days later, my mom died of bad cancer treatment. We were raised by a single mother, and that shapes your life. You don't forget these things. Back then, we didn't have the internet and all the ways to get to the bottom of the truth. But I remember back then, friends of my brothers, members of the gay community, talking regularly about being killed and their friends being killed. And I remember the name Anthony Fauci. I remember them talking about the corruption, what was going on, and advising us at the time that we should take some kind of legal action. And with the loss of brother and mother all within the same month, that was the last thing on my mind. And I was probably too young and ill-informed to do anything that would have been substantial enough to make a difference. So we just, you know, mourned their death and moved on with our life. But it always stayed with me. And so I've always taken very deep looks at Big Pharma before I've had any kind of procedures on my body done. I want to find out what kind of medicine they're putting in me. What are the side effects? And are they necessary? Because if I could, you know, allow my body to, to heal itself in any way, I'd prefer to do that. And so that kind of shaped my decisions that I made around medicine. And I will say that I hold a lot of appreciation for medicine and for doctors. It came up for me again before we had our first child. I started to really dig into, you know, which all parents do, if they're informed enough to even consider that they have choices, is my wife and I started to, you know, the questions came up. We found out we were having a boy. And so we said, do we circumcise? And at that point, my brain was completely so a yes to that because I thought I don't want him to be shamed or embarrassed and, and all of that. And thank God I listened to my wife, you know, because she was against it. And I, then she forced me down the rabbit hole to look into that subject and to realize, you know, what occurs and perhaps that it may be one reason that we have such a dark perspective of sexuality because our first experience that we have in that region is pain. And so there's a lot of pain that happens now associated with love and sex. And could that be connected? I don't know. But it was enough for us to look deeper. That drove me into the rabbit hole of vaccines. And things were available 10 years ago that are not available now. And that's strange to me because you would think as we become more data efficient and are able to access more libraries and more of our history that there would be more information, but there's actually considerably less. It's been scrubbed from the internet. But that began my interest and, and commitment to doing something as a storyteller and as a filmmaker one day in the world of medicine. And this is it. Mm, the rabbit holes, especially. Yeah, I mean, I've never said this publicly, but uh, thank you, Mum, for not circumcising me 47 years ago. I was different from the rest of my family and kids at school, and I'm here and smiling and happy, and I'm grateful for that experience, that I was the one that fitted out, you know, and so be it. You know, it, it hasn't changed who I am or whatever like that. And, and interesting, you talk about vaccines. It was, wasn't in my awareness either for so long. And it wasn't until I started, my wife actually introduced me. She took me down the rabbit hole like your wife did in regards to food nearly a decade ago. And we worked out, she was like, you got to read this book. This makes a lot of sense. And it was to do with whole food nutrition. So we implemented it for ourselves and the family and it just changed everything. I was like, oh, this is exciting. 
this is new. So I started sharing information and being a chef, we became very popular through these recipes. And through that, I started interviewing doctors. And there was something in the background. There's always this vaccine thing just circling, circling, circling. And people would share with me these stories of these children that were healthy and then they weren't. And any time I sort of raised it, it was like I was the worst person in the world because I had a profile and I spoke about it. And I can't help but think this is amazing what is happening now with the work of you and others that a year ago, if we had to discuss this, we would have been labelled a, a crazy person. Whereas now, people are openly having a discussion about vaccines. So I see there's really, really good in what's happening at the moment, but also <laughs> it's this fascinating game. So talk to me about Plandemic One. That'll go down in history as one of the most important pieces of film or TV or whatever you like to call it, documentaries for this generation. What was the impetus for you? and What was the catalyst with Judy for you? Well, I was introduced to Dr. Judy Mikovits two years before that interview. And a very dear friend of mine named Dr. Lori brought Dr. Judy in to meet with me because Dr. Lori had just read her book and learned about her story. And Dr. Lori said, you, got, you have to meet this woman. I've now spent a lot of time with her, and I'll tell you that she's the real deal. And she's a very honest very caring human being and she has been so wrong that they have smeared her drove her into bankruptcy jailed her threatened her they have done everything to her she's still standing and she's still speaking out and i think you really appreciate her and perhaps you'll want to make a movie about her her story someday this was about making a movie a narrative movie written about her story and so we sat down together and just gave her the floor and she told me her story and i was really impressed by her. I read people and I was, I think even more than I was listening to her story, I was listening to her expression. And I was watching her eyes and her face and her mouth. And I realized this woman's been through a lot. She carries her wounds in her expression, in her broken voice. And she's passionate beyond anything that makes sense other than a woman who's been incredibly wronged by a very big system. And I, so I just, I didn't know if the details of her story were perfectly accurate or not, but I knew that she was doing her best to be as accurate as possible. And I appreciated that. And then I also felt for her, you know, having been raised with a single mother and two sisters and a gay brother, you know, I was built with, uh, and kind of programmed. I was the youngest one in the house, but my brother was more feminine than my sisters, and so there was no one to protect us, really, no man in the house. And so I was told jokingly, probably, from my sisters and mother as a child, that I, I was the man of the house and I had to protect them. I think they were just empowering me to feel special. But nonetheless, what that instilled in me is a real fierce calling to protect those in need. And I've had to actually deal with that in the past to a point where it was not healthy, you know, to where I had to come back into balance and realize people can also protect themselves. So I only need to come in when it's actually invited and when it's necessary. And when I saw Judy, I felt like it was necessary. My job and what I do 
was necessary for that woman. And I had no intention of charging her or making money or profiting in any way. I just thought, you know, your story deserves to be heard. And I'm interested in it and captivated by it. And so I'll, I'm happy to be the storyteller to help you get your story out. And we just kind of let it go. I was busy. And then the lockdown happened. The quarantine happened. Uh, and the pandemic was declared. And we had a meeting set up for some reason. And I went out to meet with Dr. Lori and with Judy. And, and I started to quiz Dr. Michaelvitz about something feels wrong about this. Something feels really wrong. And she said, oh, it's very wrong. I'll tell you exactly what's happening. And she broke it down for me. And I do my best. I've been working for a number of years to try to listen to my inner voice. You know, because I think we've been separated from that because we're just, we're moving so fast and we're so distracted. But my inner voice said, yes, like this is what she's saying is accurate. And the world needs to know this. The world needs to know. Then she brought up the name Fauci. And I went, Fauci. Oh my goodness. She started talking about, all I knew of was Fauci in this today circumstance. And then she started talking about her experience with him back in AIDS. And I went, oh, I remember them talking about that guy, that wicked, lying, deceiving little man. I remember all the, all the talks in my brother's community saying he's killing people. And I said, I put it together then. And I said, you know, Judy, why don't you come to my office and we'll sit down and and I'll film a full studio interview with you, and I'll edit it together, I'll pay for it, and I'll put it out in the world, and at least you'll have that to point out in your words so that when they smear you, you'll be able to say, the truth is there, my truth is there, and please give that a listen to as well. That's all we meant to do. And then it, it did what it did, which was a surprise and a blessing in many ways, you know, a curse in that it's like we had to see the ugliness of humanity when anyone dares to speak outside of the mainstream narrative and, and had to see myself, my family, my kids, my wife, my friends dragged through the mud, anyone who protected me or associated with me or stood up for me. What doesn't kill you only makes you stronger. And so I'm ultimately incredibly grateful for all of it because I'm a stronger man today and I'm ready for a fight that I've been avoiding for a number of years. Yeah, I just want to tell you, brother, I love you and thank you. <laughs> I got tears in my eyes because of that. It's, um, I've walked that path for quite some time myself, so, as many others have. Was there any time, did you try to pull back? Did you try to turn away from it at all? Did you think, it's like when you write an email and you pause over the, the enter button or the return button before, the send button before you <laughs> before you do it. Or you accidentally hit send and you think of all the ways, how do I get that back? <laughs> uh, a moment, yeah. I'll tell you about it. Day two or day three, I woke up in the morning with the sleep deprived idea that it was all a dream and I had just dreamt this whole viral video madness and that, you know, everyone from Rolling Stone to CNN and everyone was out attacking me. I woke up convinced that it was just a dream. And I had this great deal of relief of like, oh, wow, okay, cool. I don't have to face that. And as I laid there and rubbed my eyes and started to come into full waking state, it dawned on me that it's, no, it's real. And I have to turn my phone on at some point. And knowing that what happened yesterday is probably twice fold or three times as bad today, there was a moment when I didn't want to get out of bed. I didn't want to turn my phone on. I, did, I didn't want to face it. I've never been a religious person, but I started praying. 
the praise led to deep tears and what I can describe only as a ceremony there in my bed with my wife sleeping next to me, who finally woke up at one point and said, what's happening? Because she, you know, trying to cry quietly. But it was this beautiful surrendering to the mission and understanding that the only way that we're ever going to make a difference on this planet is moving past all of our habitual patterns. The number one is fitting in, being liked, that intrinsic primal desire to be accepted by the tribe. And knowing that if I were going to make any substantial difference, I had to get myself out of the way. I had to stop thinking about me and the discomfort that I was feeling and understand that it's, it's not about me, that it's about much more. It's about the organism of humanity. And for some reason, something was occurring in the world that I was attached to and a window was opening and I had the opportunity to say something through that window to the world. Had I backed off of that, I probably would have never forgiven myself because it was clear that it's like, this is happening not to me, but for me. It's an opportunity that I should be honored to be in. My lesson was I just have to move with absolute integrity. There's no wiggle room, especially in this day and age. I think we could, we, you know, we were allowed to get away with a lot more 10 years ago than we are now. And it's wonderful. I love that we have in such a transparent world that everything is mirrored back at us in real time and that people they become so, so cynical and callous that they are suspicious. And there's a part of that that's healthy, that skepticism. So knowing that I was being looked at under the, the magnifying glass of global you know, speculation, it just became clear to me that the work I have to do is just to move every step, every word, every action, every decision that's made, everyone that's hired, everyone that's part of this. We just have to move with as much integrity as humanly possible. We have to turn down offers for money all the temptation that comes our way, all of that. We have to only think about what matters. And what matters is getting this information out to the people who have been kept from this information for the sole purpose of bringing us back into better health as a human organism and experiencing a greater sense of freedom in our lives and empowerment in our lives. And when I realized that that was the mission and it had nothing to do with benefiting myself in any way, it was easier for me just to keep moving forward. And I, I made some vows that morning to myself, shared them with my wife only, and just said, I'm ready for this, whatever may come. And in credit to my incredible wife, it's hard to put into words just how amazing this woman is and how supportive she's been through this, her strength, her authentic good energy, even though she knows what I'm doing is incredibly dangerous, almost no fear. My children, same way. Working through a pandemic, a quarantine, not being able to see their friends, learning that they won't return to school, and never having a moment with them that I felt that any damage was being done, full support from my children, from my wife. My children are only six and nine, yet they, they know exactly what daddy's doing. And they know they don't get to see much of me these days, but they are so supportive. Like something is moving through their little bodies that just have them empower me and to never make me feel the guilt of not being there for them, which is a vow I made when they were both born that I would be there for them. And, you know, the past three months, I've not been, been able to be there for them much. And they make sure that I know that that's totally okay because they know what's going on here. And credit to my incredible family, they have given me the, the strength to move on and 
and the doctors, you know, the doctors who have called me and who I've interviewed, who have just shared with me what it's been like to take their degree into a system and make a vow of doing no harm and then spend their career doing harm. It's soul gutting for these doctors. And so I am also very privileged and honored to, in some little way, fight for them. Beautiful. The words that you use, integrity, freedom, ceremony, and a whole lot of others that just uh, percolating in my spirit at the moment and resonating with me. Can I ask you this question? Ceremony. What does it mean for you? What is that definition? And do you believe this is a ceremony that we're all going through on the planet at the moment? To me, a ceremony is when we come together to bond over ideas, over beliefs, over intentions, over commitments. And a party is a party where we can just celebrate and that's wonderful. But a ceremony is something that we come together with intention, is a party with intention. We set an intention. And for me, a ceremony is a sacred coming together in the most meaningful way, like the purest way that we can speak about the sacred, like something that is, you know, our words have been so weakened by misuse over the years that a lot of these real, this real sacred language means nothing to a lot of people. But there's something, and I think it's intentional. As a matter of fact, I know it's intentional. When people have a sense of the sacred, they're a much more difficult person to bamboozle because they're aware of something so much greater than themselves and then the person who's trying to bamboozle them, that they're grounded in an intelligence that a lot of people have forgotten. And so for me, sacred means the most protected. You can have a good relationship, but if you have a sacred relationship, that brings in for me all the powers of the unseen. And when I think of my relationship with my wife as sacred, it, it means something different to me. I can say my, you know, I have a good relationship, I have a strong relationship, but when I say it's sacred, I can feel it in my body, my whole body kind of aligns to, well, then if it's sacred, then it calls me to treat her a certain way. And unfortunately, these days, it's, it's so common that we hold things like celebrities, icons as sacred, you know, like we, the way we are in their presence or some people behave in their presence as if they are sacred because they're on a hit TV show or something that buries the meaning of what that word is really intended to mean. And a lot of our language has been weaponized that way so that it loses power and our words have so much power. And that's really at the crux of, for me, what my main passion is, is the way that our language has been misused through the media has given us a, an incredibly askew perspective of who and what we are as people, as humans, as creatures, as conscious beings on this planet. We have lost touch with that. That's why the end of the movie, you know, is really about us reconnecting with our humanity and rising up back into that knowing again, which is, is again, a real sacred place to live from. It means a lot to me. It didn't mean a lot to me a few years ago, but it means a lot to me now. Mm, I can't help but think, and my wife and I watched Indoctrination this week, actually, the day after it was released, and we sat there. And I'm going to use a word here. It felt like an initiation is what you are offering people. 
it's a step into the the unknown world, which is now known. And I think that's what an initiation may be. I, I don't know the definition of it, but as human beings in, in tribal societies, we had these initiations. And I feel like watching what your second film that just came out, Plandemic Indoctrination, is I could send that to anybody that would be sceptical, that isn't on this way of thinking just yet, is an initiation process into cracking them open in the most beautiful way, but also in the most possibly painful way as well. And we've cried through your project, real tears for humanity, but also tears of joy. And tell me about the intention for your recent offering to the world, your contribution, your gift. It evolved organically. I will say that what I intended to make is not what we ended up making. And that was a result of myself and my team listening, you know, which is something we don't do much these days, you know, listening to each other, but also just listening. There's the project that I envisioned that I wanted to make that was coming from my mind. And then there was something else that was unfolding that I found myself just listening to. And sometimes I, I wasn't clear on why, but it would be, we would start to edit a, a section of the film. My body would be immobile. I really couldn't move. Or I'd start to write a piece of monologue, voiceover, and I would just get stuck on a word and not be able to move. And I just started asking, like, what, you know, what's going on here? This seems logical, the logical next step, and it makes sense to me. But I would just receive this note. And the more I listened to that and just pushed that aside and stopped editing that and said, I'm going to move on to something else. I don't know why my team would be, you know, like, well, what do you mean? It needs to be done. I know, but for some reason, I'm just feeling like not right now. I don't know why, but just put it aside. And lo and behold, all of those things weren't used in the film. And I didn't know until, you know, we were probably 70% done with the film that the reason for that was there was this human pull for all of us to set the record straight about all these things that people are fighting for out there. And there's data that can do it. But then it became clear that, wow, all of these hot button talking points that people are fighting over out there, masks, social distancing, the lockdown, the numbers, all of this stuff, we could blow their minds with the information that we have, indisputable information. But what came clear to me was that nothing's going to come from that. We'll show our data, and then they'll show their data. And the world, the people will be stuck somewhere in between who do we listen to. And there'll be more disconnect, more division, more arguing. It organically just shaped itself until I realized, until I could, then I could give direction to my crew, like, okay, I'm clear now. None of that belongs in this film. None of it. And it, it hit a point of contention with a couple of my editors and people that were working with me. I was the lead editor on the project and had other editors like we spent time and money and this is good. And I said, I, it's fantastic. It's not just good. It's fantastic, but it's not going to be in the film. Ultimately now I can say, okay, I understand why that decision was made because like comments that you just made, you can show it to anyone. And that's what we needed to do in this process was to with the first part, we got everyone's attention, the believers and non-believers everyone's attention and now we have to build a bridge if we're really going to achieve our mission which is to have people receive information that they have been told and i would even say hypnotized into not receiving we have to do it in a very delicate way that builds a bridge for them to at least 
be willing to listen a little bit more. And so it was my intention to build something that you could show anybody. Um, not that there's not already controversy about it, but you know the fact checkers are having a very hard time debunking part two because we sent that through 20 to 40 high level doctors, investigators, researchers, historians, everything went through, every major point went through four different email chains with all of these very intelligent people that would pick at it until we felt comfortable enough to release the film. And so they're gonna have a very hard time debunking any of it. My family and I have been using beautiful, high quality essential oils for the last 20 years to live healthily every single day. Now, if you're passionate about health and are ready to step into leadership, I want to invite you to partner with my team and I to build a beautifully successful doTERRA business. Register at PeteHLC.com backslash Pete. That's PeteHLC, which stands for the Healthy Living Collective, dot com backslash Pete. Tell me the audience. Tell me the first one that you came out with, Dr. Judy. Off the top of your head, or you might have the figures and maybe it's too hard to find them, but how many people saw that? Over a billion. And it is impossible to completely track, but through various independent sources and from messages that we received from people who were angry because their video had 20 million views, people all over the world, different countries. And, and surprisingly, in a lot of the more communist countries, the video went incredibly viral. And so people reached out to us to say, my video had 15 million views, and then they took it, finally took it down. And just by adding up those numbers, just from the messages that hit me alone, it was half a billion people. And then with other analytics that have been done, and knowing the amount of downloads that occurred just from our page, it's safe to say that it's well over a billion at this point. When it first came into my inbox... I shared it, and it was amazing. And then you got destroyed by people. Oh, I've been getting destroyed by certain industries. I wouldn't say people, but certain industries over the last decade anyway, so I'm no stranger to that. <laughs> but it was amazing what's been happening over the last few months is that censorship that I can't help but think, why would they censor these things if they didn't hold any truth like they're saying? That's what they keep coming back with. It's debunked. And the question is, why aren't, are they not censoring things to do with sex trafficking and child pornography and numerous things that they allow to live on all these platforms that are not allowing us to live on there? It tells you something. And there are a lot of pedophile pages that are still existing on platforms like YouTube and Facebook and they speak in code. They know what the code is. They know that these people exist. They know that they're sharing these photos of young people because that's what they're into, and they allow it. And yet, when we share something from qualified doctors, from Nobel laureates, from distinguished scientists, and it echoes what thousands of doctors are saying all over the world, we get censored and banned. And this time around, they had us pre-banned. So before the film even came out, they had all the hashtags banned. They had the warning, false information popped up immediately. And we tested it even by putting stuff out that had zero information in it about vaccines or anything. And just because it was associated to the word pandemic, we didn't even use the word pandemic, like in text, 
but because maybe the artwork had it in there or because it was associated to me, it was pre-banned. And all this does is tell you, there's you know one side of our society that thinks, well, that just shows you know how dangerous I am and, and, and what a propagandist I am. But that's not what it proves at all. It shows that Big Pharma owns our country and it owns the rest of the world. Think of the size of big oil, the resource that powers the world, big oil. Big Pharma spends over twice the amount to lobby in Washington every year than big oil does. Twice, and I mean twice and some. And to understand that, people don't think of big pharma as being as powerful as big oil. That's over twice the size. And all of these politicians receive, not all of them, but many of them receive hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars, and they own the media networks. You do not talk. You do not share of all the different times they've had failed clinical trials where thousands of young girls get paralyzed and sterilized. Does that ever make the news? Never. They can't because they will lose their biggest sponsor. And when you understand the ancestral relationships that Big Pharma has, where people that are in media move to the boards of major vaccine manufacturers, when people from politics move in and out, and this revolving door of literally heads of companies moving through these boards and through the CEO ships of companies, it tells you something. They're all in bed together. They're not just allies, but they're literally working as one conglomerate to sell vaccines. And what better con game could there possibly be than to patent a medicine and then to be connected with politics and policy and media such that the world cannot seek and will never find another cure, another remedy, other than the drug that they have patented. That is the game they play. And in doing so, every year, tens of thousands of people die. And more than that, become addicted and their lives are destroyed. And they want them that way. They want lifelong customers. And I don't know about you, but I'm over it. Someone's got to stand up and do something about this. I've been in mainstream media for two decades now as a talking head, as a celebrity chef. And it was really interesting. Close to a decade ago, as I mentioned, we started sharing information, beautiful recipes. That was sort of the translation, building the bridge between the doctors that I would interview, functional medical doctors, professors, researchers from around the world that were getting long-term sustainable results for their, for their patients and releasing all these beautiful data. And I'll never forget the day because I used to, I'd do a show in America on PBS called Movable Feast. And every year I'd come to the States from Australia. And in that junket, so to speak, where I'd be over there, I'd, I'd appear on the Today Show and I would do cooking. And I did that for about five years. I'd cook with Brian Gumbel, whoever was Al Roker, whoever it was. Then one year, four or five years ago, I said, okay, I contacted the producer. I said, I'm coming over again. Can we do another slot? And I didn't hear back from them. I emailed again and I didn't hear back. And I, the third email, I said, is there something going on? And they said, Pete, off the record, you're too controversial for us now. You're talking about things that are too hot for us. I said, I'm coming on to cook a steak and vegetables or a fish salad. I said, 
that's what I do. I said, I'm not going to talk about it. They said, no, you've basically crossed the line now. I was like, wow, this is fascinating. A little chef. What did you say to cross the line? I was promoting food as medicine or one of the tools of medicine. That's it. That's it. I was like, isn't this fascinating? One little person from Australia on an American morning commercial network that I'm too controversial now. And that's when the alarm bells started going off. I was like, whoa. Oh, yeah. This is interesting. This is fascinating. And fast forward five or six years and here we are sitting across from each other. I've got a question. Has any mainstream organization reached out to sit down with you? They have reached out and typically what they do, you know, I've done a couple of phone interviews with some of the major publications and or they'll send us a draft of something that their USA Today just this morning sent a draft of a fact check that they're going to do and credit to them. They sent it ahead of time to say, is there any rebuttal or anything you guys would like to add to this? And of course, there's a lot because every single thing that we're trying to debunk is inaccurate. But other than that, I think there were during the first one, but I wasn't interested in doing a lot of publicity after the first one because I didn't feel that I was qualified to because it was all about Dr. Mikovits, her story, and about vaccines and XMRVs and, and things like that that I'm not qualified to speak about. And so I declined all the, most of the interviews based on that. The ones that wanted to speak and get to know me, then I took the interviews. This time around, because there's so much information in the film that does fall in line with my profession and what I know about being the media, the narrative, and all of that, I am willing to do interviews this time. And I, and I have been doing a series of them. But the mainstream, no, they're not interested. I'm careful because, of course, you know, places like Fox will have me. It's a careful dance we have to take right now because they're already trying to label me, which is kind of a joke. If you see my background and my history, you'll know that it's anything but true. But I'm a far-right conspiracy theorist, whatever, and I don't even know anyone on the far right. It's just not been my life. I'm in California. So it doesn't make sense. When you see my history of supporting kids in Africa and, and indigenous cultures and Native American peoples, they've had a hard time putting those labels on me. But because they're trying, I've been very careful not to receive donations from anyone or do any kind of news shows that are considered to be you know, on the right. And not that I have any judgment there, because I actually have been kind of blown away in the past couple of years to see that there's been far more sanity happening in the world with people on the right than on the left, which is the side that I've always identified with. It's been kind of mind-boggling and disheartening and everything you want to call it to see that the, the worst of the protocols, the lockdown protocols are all happening in democratic states. And, and these things that are just kind of like, you know, really opening my eyes to understand the dangers of ever choosing any side. And I've just refused to do that from this point on. You know, I'm just going to keep focused on truth and it doesn't matter what side that falls on at all. And I think that's where we all have to come into that. We have to stop voting. You know, people would say, who are you voting for? And just in that question, you understand how much we've been programmed to vote for character. It's identity politics. Who are you voting for instead of what are you voting for? You know, if you start to really look at the policies that each person's running for office or passing, then it allows you to see beyond their charisma because they're good. 
I mean, I worked in Hollywood for a number of years. I used to teach actors. I know acting. And these people are good. They're convincing. And when you have terabytes of data like we do here in my company, dating back 30 plus years, and when you can show them side by side and to see how much these fake journalists change their beliefs, their narratives with whatever administration they're serving, whoever's paying them the most, they will pivot 180 on everything they currently believe if it means getting more money tomorrow. And that to me is what we really have to overcome, that willingness to sell out. We've got to get past that because I know a lot of these people and you know, most of them have some kind of dependency on drugs or alcohol. They're not happily married if they're married. They're not happy people. You would never know that after they're out of makeup with their bright and shiny porcelain smiles on TV every day. But the majority of them are not satisfied and they're not happy. And that's what you get for selling out. Because you've been in this industry for so long, and myself, I've been watching it, and it seemed like mainstream media was on a downward trajectory is my perception losing viewership to online netflix streaming services the whole lot commercial television and then you look at the pharmaceutical industry and more and more people sort of waking up towards the dangers of pharmaceuticals the side effects and now all of a sudden with this pandemic everybody's watching the news everybody's back into that thing it's like the perfect storm for these industries that were on their way out to anchor down to have their last hurrah or the clasp at that last straw for safety, for survival. What are your thoughts on that? And I guess the reason I'm asking you this is because your first film, A Billion Viewers, and who knows where this, this latest one is going to go, and, and the new solutions and platforms and systems that are arising out of this storm. I definitely agree that much of the media is kind of in its death rattle phase right now. If anyone has ever been with somebody as they take their last breath, they know what the death rattle is. There's a, a sound that the dying body makes. And I hear that sound daily. They're desperate. And they're so desperate that they're making massive mistakes. And they're so desperate that their massive mistakes are pushing people away, which is a blessing. And as some smart person said, never interrupt your enemy when they're in the middle of making a mistake. And that a lot of mistakes are being made right now. And people are witnessing firsthand the downside of corporate media and it's it has nothing to do with news it used to be back in the day when i was a child that there were three major news stations and they reported world events things that we weren't privy to things that happened outside of of our neighborhoods of our states and cities and now it's all manipulation and this has been happening for decades and this thing that we call the internet, for better and for worse, has for better given us the ability to share information and to catch these people in real time, to be able to show that what they said this week is the opposite of what they said last week, to show that this thing that's on the headlines of all the top media channels is actually taken out of context and there was more to the story and that person didn't actually say what they're accusing them of saying. 
And when you understand that every time that happens, these people know that. It's never a mistake. The game is put it out, let it be seen by 20 million plus people. We'll retract it tomorrow or the next day when we get caught. But the retraction, the lie goes on the front page and the retraction goes somewhere buried after the sports section and no one ever sees it. And you can see this literally in analytics. You can see that the lie got 200 million views and the retraction got 200 or 2,000 at the most. So the people are left with the impression that that headline was real in the world. And I still see people arguing about things today. It blows my mind. I'll give you one example, and this will trigger the people who are fiercely against Trump, but it just happens to be a wonderful example. This is no endorsement in either way, but just to use this to show how cunning and clever and deceptive the media is. During the Charlottesville catastrophe, President Trump made a statement, the famous statement about fine people on both sides. Since then, over four years ago, the media has somehow convinced the masses that he has never condemned white supremacy or neo-Nazis. And people believe it to the point that Spike Lee even put just that section in his film, Black Klansmen, and that's all people have ever seen. The truth of the matter is, 44 seconds after he said, find people on both sides, he said, and I am not talking about the neo-Nazis or the white supremacists or the KKK. All of those people should be totally condemned. I'm talking about the good people who were permitted, who wanted to take down a statue because they believed it was racist, and the good people who were historians who know the history that that person on that statue was actually not a racist. These two were permitted to be there, and they were having a debate. And it wasn't until the far right and the far left intervened that things got ugly. And very few people have been allowed to know that that dialogue took place 44 seconds later. And I'm only using that as, as an example to show just how powerful and how powerfully they can control the media such that the majority of Americans still have no idea that 44 seconds later he said the very thing that they've all been wishing that he would say. And that's a scary thing for anyone, no matter what side you're on. And the thing that I want people on the left, which again is the only side I've ever voted for, to realize is that if that doesn't sound scary to you because it's happening to someone that you don't like, you're making the grave mistake of inviting it to happen to you. Because the moment we say it's okay as long as it's happening over there, we are literally inviting it to happen over here. And it's only a matter of time, and now it's occurring. And literally, Plandemic 1 was a wake-up call for so many people who already knew Judy's story and or knew the truth about the dangers of untested vaccines, and were incredibly insulted and triggered and whatever descriptive words you want to use, because they were being censored. These are the same people who said, yay, censor those people. And now they're going, but not me. And I thought, this is a really good thing, because now we get to see the repercussions of saying yes to any of those measures, even if it's against the people that you think should be censored. Now it's happening to all of us. And I'd love to finish off with the ripple effect that is happening with the work that you're doing by releasing these films out into the world, the solutions, the awakening. And I don't want to put words into your mouth because you're much more articulate than I am. 
But what are you seeing happen over the last five months since you've released these these very important pieces of work and knowledge into the world? Do you have hope? I think hope is overrated. We have to take it beyond hope. I have knowing. Hope still leaves room for something else to happen. I'm optimistic that we might win. No, we're winning because at the end of the day, and if you understand the history of our mythologies, truth always wins, ultimately. And as they say, the truth shall set us free, but at first it pisses you off. And so people are mad right now, and I get it. And some, a lot of people are mad at me, but they'll come around and they'll understand what's going on. And there is no way that we will allow, the American people nor the people around the world, will allow a small group of elite people no matter how much money they have, which is a lot, there's no way that we will allow them to take over our lives and to enslave us such that we will be told permanently who we can associate with. The same thing has happened in China, credit scores. If we were in China right now, just by you speaking to me, your credit score would be lowered and you may not be able to live in the apartment or the house that you live in. Like these are real things that are happening right now with China, credit scores. And so how good of a citizen are you being? And who gets to decide and who draws that line? Well, the elite, the leaders, the people who made the rules draw that line. So if you say something online that they don't like, or it's against their stakeholders or their profits, then your credit score is lowered. And that's what they're trying to build here in America. And if you think that's a conspiracy theory, stay tuned. Come in very fast. I didn't listen to the people that I thought were conspiracy theorists, I've had them come to me because of my position in the media over the course of the last 12 years. And I just didn't want to hear it because it disrupted, it popped my bubble. I was in such a kumbaya, beautiful, living in a little valley, doing yoga. And I just didn't want to think at all that there could be this underbelly of dark, deceptive people who are harming children and enslaving people and that want to enslave me and my children. I just refused to take that in as a possible reality. Sounded like a really bad movie plot. And now it's happening right in front of our faces. And the scariest part of it is, is that citizens are wanting it because they don't know any better. And they think that they're being protected and that life's going to somehow get better if they just keep giving more of their civil liberties over to these people that tell them all the things they want to hear. And that will never be so. The more power they have, the more they will use it, and the less freedom that we will have in our lives. And if we can't see that right now, especially you, you're in Australia, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And we're feeling it here in our very liberal California, the fact that we're being told what to wear. If any of the small businesses defy their orders and decide to reopen and cut someone's hair. They're going to shut off their water, their power. They're going to fine them. They'll take away their business license. That's full control and it's happening right now. They're putting ankle monitors on U.S. citizens, putting them on house rest if they defy orders in certain counties. You know, it's happening right now. So for the people to be so blind and arrogant to say that these ideas that are being put forth through pandemic are wild conspiracy theories, I don't know what world they're living in. If their only window to the world is a screen and what's on that screen is just the corrupt narrative, I don't know how they could not see what's going on right now. 
It's not about being paranoid. It's not about being fearful. It's not about losing hope. It's about going beyond hope. And it's about seeing what we're here to do together, reactivating that power within us, knowing that this is the moment we all chose. We chose, I, I believe, it's my belief that somehow through the, you know, the consciousness, uh, the thing that gives us life, that we actually, in some way, I don't know how exactly, but we choose to incarnate in these moments. If that's in tandem with whatever God we have identified with, I don't know. But I feel like we all have made the choice to be here in this moment. And we have to realign with why we made that choice and step up to that challenge. And not from a place of, I think we can, but from a place of, we're doing it. And it's going to be sticky and it's going to be uncomfortable. We're so addicted to comfort and convenience. We have to step out of that. We have to be willing to not be liked, to be out of agreement with our friends and our tribe, to lose friends. It's okay. Like if we had more security within ourselves, if we were more okay with just the foundation of our daily lives, then we could let the rest go. And the only reason that I can do that is because I've had two experiences in my life that gave me that lesson twice in a big way. I was at the World Trade Center 9-11, and I did search and rescue for three days. And two years ago, a fire ripped through Ojai and took our home, our business, our car, our equipment, everything we owned. And when you've had that kind of an experience, losing takes on a whole new meaning. And so I'm not afraid to lose anything right now because I know that every time something goes, something comes and we gain something greater than what we lost if we're willing to lose and to let it go. And so I'm not attached to any outcome and I'm not attached to holding on to anything. I'm just committed that the truth be known and that people do whatever the hell they choose to do with that truth. Purposely at the end of part two, and I caught some heat for this because there are a lot of people that we sent this out to before it went live and they said, but we need a, a call to action at the end. You have to have a call to action. And at one point I said, okay, I'm hearing this enough now that I'll, let me sit down and try to write a call to action. And I wrote one and I thought it was beautiful. And again, I listened and it was no. And I had to get clear on why, like why, why, why not put a call to action in the movie? Well, because then I'm telling people what to do. And that's what we have to come out of following the leader. I don't want anyone to follow me. I don't want anyone to listen to me. I want everyone to listen to themselves. All I want to do is remind people that it's in you. Wake up and see it and feel it, activate it, and bring that into every decision, every choice, every breath you take for the rest of your life, and things will get better, and we will be there. We speak the same language, brother. I love you. Thank you so much for stepping up into your truth. Imagine if everybody did that, and they will. Oh, yeah. They're doing it right now. Look at the internet. Look at the brave people that are stepping up. I am so impressed by the volume of women. It's happening on both sexes, but I mean like moms, fierce mothers, people, single women, stepping forward. And whatever it is in that feminine spirit, that has, that has been ignited, that goddess warrior archetype or whatever it is, I see one after the next of women just saying, I don't care anymore what you think of me. I'm just going to share what's true or real for me. Deal with it. And that's when things start to change. So, you know, to those warriors out there who have that kind of courage, especially in such a fierce age of cancel culture, I am 
deeply grateful and honored to witness. Beautiful, brother. Thank you so much for your time today. And thank you for sharing your wisdom and for sharing your heart and your soul. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for what you do. If you would like to become a qualified health coach, then the Institute for Integrative Nutrition, or IIN for short, can help you achieve your goals. I completed their health coaching course many years ago, which has been one of the catalysts for my own journey into what I now love to do, which is to help people achieve greater health through the sharing of information through my books, seminars, podcasts, TV shows, and films. I recommend IIN for anyone wishing to pursue a career in the health coaching and wellness space. IIN is a one-year course, so that if you're a full-time worker, busy parent, or wherever you are in your life, it is flexible enough so you'll be able to complete all the required curriculum. Please see the link included in the podcast show notes or my website to access the free sample class and first module of their program. This will give you a great taste of the format as well as the structure, and you can also utilize my special discount that I can offer you if you decide to sign up. Make sure you tell the admissions team that you're part of the Pete Evans Tuition Savings to claim your very substantial discount. Please visit integrativenutrition.com or email admissions at integrativenutrition.com. The information, views and opinions expressed in this podcast should not be treated as a substitute for nutritional, medical or other advice by a qualified professional. Guests in this podcast express their own opinions, experiences, and conclusions. Nothing in this podcast should be used to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any medical condition. Neither Pete Evans nor any sponsor endorse any views, opinions, or conclusions expressed or shared in this podcast.